Welcome to Solid Rock. We're happy to have you. My name's Matt. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to, to do that before you take off today. Uh, today we are going to be focusing our attention on the psalm that is assigned to today in the lectionary. You, you know, one of the things I love about the Book of Common Prayer, um, following the lectionary, paying attention to the church calendar throughout the year, all of those routines that have become so important in my spiritual journey over the last six to eight years, one of the things I love about all of that is the consistent rhythm that those practices provide for my life. I don't think it's mundane or overly ritualistic. In fact, I think I need that kind of rhythm in my life. For, for instance, I need practices like the Sabbath. If I, if I hope to be healthy mentally and spiritually or even physically, I need that rhythm. I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I, I do think we all need that. All need that rhythm. I mean, think of life itself. Life in many ways is rhythmic. From the rising and setting of the sun, every morning in the east and each evening in the west, to the, the changing of seasons, I guess depending on what part of the world you live in. But for most of us living in the Midwest, we see that on, on full display every year. We move from spring, summer, fall into winter, and then it all begins Again, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, there's something rejuvenating about that rhythm and something that I even find comforting at times. Or, or we could even think of our physical bodies, the rhythm that is necessary for life and for health in our bodies. Think of a beating heart. When, when some of those rhythms that our physical bodies rely on, if they are interrupted, what, what happens? We get ill. And if they're interrupted too severely or for an extended period of time, it is going to end in death. And I think this is one of the benefits of the Psalms. Not that it ends in death, but this is one of the benefits of the Psalms. It's why we try to preach through a Psalm several times throughout the year. Um, as we read so we recite, and even as we pray through the Psalms, we are plunged into a rhythm. That rhythm is unavoidable. If you read and pray through just a single Psalm every day, what happens? Halfway through the year, you begin again. If you just do a single Psalm every year, you make it through the book of Psalms twice a year, and as you do that, you bump into these repeated themes provides this rhythm through which you can live, and it forces you to enter into truths that you may not feel in that moment. For instance, if I am committed to reading and praying through the Psalms, I can't live in melancholy forever. I just can't. I can for a little bit. In fact, the Psalms give voice to that melancholy, but they also draw me out of it. I can't stay there day after day after day because a psalm like the one we're going to read today, Psalm 98, forces me into something else. So while rhythm at times can seem mundane or monotonous, I actually think it's a significant uh, 
key to our faith that facilitates great change. So two weeks ago, we were in the the Gospel of Luke, and we read that story about the tax man. Do you remember that? Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us that when Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, he invites himself over to his house for the day, and we're, we're told that Zacchaeus is filled with joy. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. He was delighted, filled with joy at the presence of Jesus. And I want to talk about this a little bit today as we read through Psalm 98. Because I I think joyful celebration is at the heart of the Christian faith. It's at the heart of our worship, our relationships with other people, and even our pursuit of holy living. You know, we live in a particular way. We are living into the life that Christ has called us to, not to sort of attain salvation, but as a response, even a joyful, celebratory response to what Jesus has done. So let's read this psalm and think about some of the things it teaches us. Because while the psalms may not be primarily about a detailed, systematic, theological exposition, I mean, they are providing us a guide. They are a prayer book of sorts. But they are inspired in such a way that they do teach us important truths. Uh, They teach us about our God. They also teach us about some appropriate human responses to who God is. And I think we find one of those appropriate human responses here in Psalm 98, verse 1. The psalmist says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So it begins here with this instruction, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Singing or expressing our worship to God, which we have just done together briefly here this morning. Singing our worship to God, I think, does something that at times theological discussion is maybe unable to do. It does something in us that just reflecting individually is unable to do, because poetry, even when we haven't composed the poetry, helps us us give voice to the mystery of our faith in unique ways. There's an old David Bazan lyric, which I I understand that that's strange to to bring this up in this conversation, but there's an old lyric that, that it says, I can't say it like I sing it. And I get that's, you know, that's not the context that lyric was written in, but I I think there's a truth in that thought that applies to this conversation. We often can't say it like we can sing it. That poetry helps open our minds to explore truths about God in different ways. The psalmist here suggests that This kind of joyful expression is the appropriate response as we consider again who God is and what God has done. 
Now, we don't know for sure the event that prompted the composition of this psalm. Perhaps it was deliverance from exile. In fact, that's what I tend to think this was written about, but maybe it's just some other deliverance. Either way, the author considers the salvation, the righteousness of God, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, and upon that reflection, the only thing imaginable to do is to burst into song, to sing to the Lord. But it doesn't end there. Sing to the Lord a new song. One thing I think this section might teach us is that there's something important about continually expressing our praise and adoration, a reflection on the salvation of God. There's something important about trying to do that in new ways, trying to put it into words that maybe we never have before. Not that we ever really will be able to express our worship in, in ways that nobody throughout history has done, but singing to the Lord a new song is not about trying to achieve something completely unique for the sake of novelty. One, one of the things I appreciate about our music teams here, and Kevin's not here today, but Kevin, as he provides leadership in this regard, and thank you to Kendall for filling in for Kevin today, but one of the things I really appreciate is that we, we are no respecter of era or decade. So we, we will sing centuries-old hymns, and, and we'll sing songs from the 70s and the 80s, and yes, even the 90s. And then we'll sing songs from the past couple of decades, and even songs that were written in the past few months, and, and I really do love that. It, it all serves a purpose and helps us express our emotion in worship. But there is something special about singing that new song. Because creating anything new, writing a new song, requires that welling up of energy, that welling up of creativity and fresh experience. And, and for those of us who don't write songs, even singing a new song that somebody else has written, that also requires that or leads to that welling up of fresh experiences and energy causes us to think about and reflect on God in new ways, maybe breaks us outside of the box that we have been confined in. So we sing about and think about a different aspect of God's character using different words. And it causes us to grow in our love of who God is and to grow in our appreciation of what God has done for us as individuals and as the human race simply by expressing a similar thought in a new way, with different words. Psalmist says, sing to the Lord a new song. It continues in verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Make a joyful noise. There was an old saint I knew in the church when I was growing up who always referred to the music I liked as a kid as holy noise. So I was, a, a, I guess, a bit of an early bloomer in my love for punk rock. I got my first, and it, at that time in my life, it was exclusively Christian punk rock because of some of the restrictions my parents placed on me. But I got my first 
MXPX CD when I was in third grade, and it changed my life. Um, but some of the older folks in the church didn't really appreciate me playing it loud on the church speakers. But I'm actually okay with that description of the music, holy noise. Um, when we reflect on the character and the beauty of our God, the salvation and righteousness of our God, there will be times when the only appropriate response is a shout. Maybe even an unintelligible shout to make a joyful noise. So there are times when we refuse to be inhibited in our emotional expression, and I think that's appropriate. Maybe that's my Pentecostal heritage coming out, and if so, that so be it. I'm fine with that. But, but I do think it's appropriate and at times even necessary. Now, it's no surprise that I believe in the value of written prayers. I believe in the value of liturgy, routine, ritual. It's all been so important in my spiritual journey. I believe in ancient prayers that I haven't thought of, but that have been passed down to us from generations before. But liturgy, that ritual, is a guide for us. It provides some rails to keep us headed in a particular direction, but it's, it's not a jail cell to confine us or to completely strip all spontaneity or all individuality in our expression. So I believe in liturgy. I value it. It's an important part of my journey. But I also believe there are moments when exuberant, spontaneous, joyful noise are the appropriate response to who God is and what God has done. And so maybe this is a bit of permission. I like to periodically extend this permission. It is okay in our worship and our singing and our prayer, it's okay for that to be emotional. It's okay for that shout of joy to occur or even to weep out of gratitude. Worship isn't just emotional and our emotions certainly we can't always depend on them to be a reliable gauge of our spirituality or a reliable guide in our spiritual expression. But if our emotions are completely off limits in our expressions of worship, well, we're not really worshiping in a holistic way. We have been created as emotional beings, and it is only normal for that emotion to come through in our worship of God. In that well-known passage in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 4. You probably know it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We're going to look at that passage in more detail next week again. But Paul says here, rejoice always. Let me emphasize the point. He goes on, I will say it again, rejoice. And if that instruction, that direct and strong instruction is necessary, can't be talking about happiness that just sort of floods our minds and our hearts unexpected. This is something that is volitional, something we have a choice to do. Paul is saying, let this rhythm 
of expressing your joy be an ongoing part of your life? It's a choice. Despite the present difficulties, maybe the suffering or the sorrows or the challenges, you may not feel like it. But this type of joy, this type of rejoicing is not just happiness or pleasure that is completely dependent on situational realities that in that moment make delight unavoidable. This seems to be very much a choice we make in every moment and in every season. That, that poem that we looked at several weeks ago by Wendell Berry, one of the things he writes in that poem is this, rejoice though you have considered the facts. I love that line, rejoice though you have considered the facts. Joy for Christians it is not a denial of the facts. It isn't a denial of the pain, sorrow, or failure. In fact, all of that can coexist, and it often does. A pastor from New York, Rich Velotis, put it this way. He said, the same Bible that tells us to rejoice always, which we've just read from Philippians, same Bible that tells us that also has a book called Lamentations. We don't have to choose one from the other. He went on, good, healthy Christian faith is non-dualistic. It's able to hold multiple tensions together. Rejoice always. There are going to be seasons of lament. It's not all one or the other. Again, it's this rhythm. So singing to the Lord a new song, making a joyful noise is for us not an escape mechanism through which we deny the challenging situations that we might be facing, but it is this discipline, this routine that we enter into. C.S. Lewis so wonderfully wrote, joy is not something that we're trying to grasp or to cling to, but it's something that's, one of the purposes of joy is that it is reminding us. It's not a possession that we can hold on to, or it's not the thing that we're striving for. It is a byproduct, and its very existence shows that we're not after joy, but we're after something entirely different. We're after something outer and other, and one of the values in joy is that outer and other. It's pointing us to its source. In that book, Lewis used that example. Maybe you've read the book and you remember it, but he talks about when we're, if you're lost in the woods and you get a glimpse of a signpost, that, that's a really big deal for you, right? So maybe you can just picture this. Somebody lost in the woods for hours or maybe even days and stumbling upon a signpost and you can just imagine the emotion welling up within them. Maybe you could even picture them physically embracing that sign. Obviously not because they love a signpost. It's a piece of wood stuck in the ground. But what that signpost is signifying is a really big deal. In that moment, it's pointing to their freedom from lostness, safety and security that they are going to find now that they are no longer lost. And I think this might be a helpful way for us to think of joy in the life of followers of Jesus. It's a signpost for us. It's pointing us to Christ. And it's pointing us to Christ, not just in this emotion that comes upon us, unexpected, at times that happens, but I think it's something we intentionally enter so that we might be pointed to Christ. Amen. 
The, the rejoicing that we embrace as a discipline, a rhythm in every season is pointing us to the God who saves, the God who is faithful and worthy of our praise, a God who judges with equity, God who is not arbitrary or capricious, one who is trustworthy and righteous. Continues in verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So the psalm comes to an end with a call for the entire earth, for everyone in it and everything in it to pour out their praise to the Lord. And maybe this seems like a stretch, the, the metaphor that's used to, to think of rivers clapping their hands and hills and mountains singing and shouting for joy and shouting out of praise. But I think one of the points that's being made here is that, that it isn't just human worshipers who are singing songs and playing instruments. It's not just those in a church building who are on some level conscious of what they are doing. It's not just those who are able, capable of singing praise to God. Now, the, the psalmist seems to suggest that the entire universe is making joyful noise, singing new songs of praise each morning as created things serve their purposes. They are shouting forth the praise of their creator. As created things serve their purposes, and sometimes those purposes are useful, but purposes of created things are not always utilitarian. Maybe it's just simple aesthetics. Maybe it's the beauty of existence, the very rhythms of creation that are pouring forth speech about our God. That rhythm that we see in nature, that we need to live the physical world we live in functions according to it. Our lives, our health physically depends on those rhythms. And I am convinced that our spirituality will become much more robust if certain rhythms are a part of what we do, including the rhythm that we have read through here in Psalm 98. Intentionally, routinely, consistently making a joyful noise as we reflect on who God is and what God has done. You know, what we do here on Sundays every week, in part, this is so important for us because it is a rhythm. We don't always feel like coming here on Sunday mornings, right? I don't know if you feel that. Is it weird for me to admit that as a pastor? <laughs> Maybe it is, but sometimes I, don't, sometimes I don't feel it. But it's a rhythm that I'm committed to entering into. Every week, I want to start my week by refocusing, by reorienting my mind. We talked about last week. By calming my soul, by finding some rest in the presence of God and in the presence of other followers of Jesus. This meal that we share every week, which we're going to share in just a moment, this is a, a rhythm 
that we engage in. Yes, it may seem at times monotonous and overly ritualistic, and it certainly can become that. But if we can keep our hearts and our minds focused, I believe this is an essential practice, an essential rhythm that is a part of spiritual health as followers of Jesus. Kendall, if you all want to come up. So as we come to the table this morning, entering again into that rhythm that we do week after week after week, as we come to this table in obedience to Christ, we meet with him. I believe we meet with Christ in this meal. We feast, which is so strange to think about this little wafer, this little cup. This is for us, for our souls. This is a feast. We, we find sustenance in this meal for the journey ahead, and we find the object of our joy. We find the object of our rejoicing, the one that our voices, our new songs, the one that our noise praises. We find the one, yes, that the entire cosmos is praising, even right now this morning. Would you stand? As we come to the table, our minds are taking, taken to a very somber event, a very brutal death. But for us, it is a source of joy. It is a source of joy. So this is a somber reflection, but it is also a joyous celebration because it's pointing us to the life we have in Jesus Christ. As we prepare to come to the table this morning, I want to say a prayer over you. And if you're new or visiting, we invite you to this meal. We'll make two lines down the center aisle. You'll come forward, and somebody will be here at the front waiting with the cup and with the bread. And the words will be spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Thanks be to God. I want to say a prayer for you. O oh, Heavenly Father, you have filled the world with beauty. Open our eyes to behold your gracious hand in all your works, that rejoicing in your whole creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness. For the sake of him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we ask and we trust today in this meal, be present. Be present, O oh Jesus, our great high priest, as you were present with your disciples and be known to us in the breaking of bread. You who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Would you join us at the table today?